disclaimer. The views and opinions you hear expressed by the participants in the show are not the views of AnimeNewsNetwork.com. Enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome to Ancast. I'm Zach Birchie. Hope Chapman's here. Hello. And uh, joining us uh, for a special episode, uh, we haven't done one of these single show episodes since uh, we talked about uh, Watamote a while back. Uh, this is an entire episode just about Kill a Kill. And uh, joining us, it's a blogger for Okazu. Uh, you can find her at okazu.yurikon.com and former uh, former champion, I guess, I guess returning champ. Uh, it's Erica Friedman. Hey, Erica. Hi, Zach. Nice to be back. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, uh, one of our uh, beloved game critics uh, at Anime News Network, and you can also find his stuff at DaveAndJoel.com from the Fast Karate for the Gentleman podcast. It's Dave Riley. Hey, Dave. Hey, it's exciting to be here in the anime capacity. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you've I've ever... always dreamed of this day. I don't think you've ever been on a show where we really talk about anime. No. <laughs> um, okay, so... We're just going to talk about Kill a Kill, um, and I meant to do this episode a little while ago. The show wrapped up in late March, and uh, I just hadn't finished it yet, and I, I just recently finished it and figured, no, now's the time uh, to talk about talk about this show. Uh, it had a gigantic impact on anime fandom. It, it still does. Um, part of the reason that I decided to do an entire episode just on this show was, w- while it was airing... I don't know if you guys had the same thing. I mean, your, your Twitter list is, is heavily curated to your taste and what you want to read. Um, but when this show was on, every time it was on, my Twitter feed was just Kill a Kill for hours and hours and hours and hours. And same, and same with Tumblr. Like, my Tumblr feed was nothing but Kill a Kill for a day or two after a new episode went air. Um, and a lot of dis- the show seemed to generate a ton of discussion and uh, I, I wanted to get, get a collection of folks that had seen the whole thing and really, you know, had something to say about it. So I guess from the from the top, I kind of just want your general opinion of the show, what you thought of it, what you thought the strongest elements of it were, what about it stuck with you. And um, I should let the viewers uh, or listeners at home know uh, this is going to be a spoiler-heavy show. Um, there's no point in talking about the show if we can't talk about the end and have to be all coy and say, watch it for yourself, we're going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen the end and you care about spoilers, listen to this after you've watched the show. So from here on in, we're in spoiler country. Um, it's a delicious place to be. Uh, so I guess I'm going to start with uh, Erica. Um, you uh, reviewed the show right after it finished and gave it like a thousand out of ten. <laughs> I did. This is, this is great. Uh, tell us how you felt about the show. What was your experience with it? Okay, so I should start with how I how I started watching it because this is actually really unusual. I'm not the anime watcher in my family. My wife watches all the anime, and she watches all the anime. Mm-hmm. And it, we almost never agree on anything. So everything she loves, I hate, and vice versa. Yeah. So she comes in and says, "You really have to watch this one. It's crazy." So I'm all right, well, fine, I'll watch it a little bit, and when I hate it, you can watch it without me. <laughs> we sat down, and the first episode was, like, completely 
off the rails. And I thought, okay, I haven't watched something that's really gonzo in a while. And I loved it. I just loved it. We laughed our asses off through the entire thing. And amazingly, we both loved all of it exactly the same. And that almost never happens. So for me, it was really significant that we both enjoyed it at exactly the same level, all the levels. So that was one of the reasons I felt that it was really good. I watch anime completely differently than every other anime fan I've ever met. I don't care about the film quality and the animation and the, you know, who does what and where and what the studio is. I, I couldn't even tell you. I'm, I'm pretty sure who the studio for is. This might be Trigger. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care. I want to see a really amazing story that holds together from beginning to end, which is pretty rare in anime. And so for me, this was completely off the rails, but it, it did a thing that I really like where they take a premise and they blow it completely out of proportion and then they keep going and they just go and go and see how far they can blow it until it just doesn't quite burst, but it's really out of proportion. And I really felt this went completely crazy and just kept going nuts and, and had no shame, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I, I really I just loved it pretty much from beginning to end. Now, as 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 a critic, I mean, you're uh, you, you write you write a lot of reviews. I mean, obviously, your thing is mostly manga. Um, but as a critic, did, did what was your chief reaction to the series? Were you thinking, oh, this is thematically has got thematically this has a lot to say, and I'm getting a lot out of it that way, or were you just laughing and clapping and having a good time? <laughs> a little bit of both. Right. Um, I felt that it. Uh, I'm pretty. Um, I'm pretty moved when things are internally consistent, and that really is my number one criteria. It doesn't have to be probable. It doesn't have to be possible. It does have to be plausible. Given the world that is created for us, everything has to be plausible. And I felt that this story kept within its own rules of plausibility. And when it didn't, it didn't matter because it was really, you know, it was rewriting those rules and saying, well, did we say this? Oh, well, it's really this thing. It wasn't adding hand waves. It basically was an open hand wave series like anything goes. So don't be surprised if we change the rules halfway across. That, and I, yeah. I kind of like that. That's a really that's a really good point because as, as I was getting closer to the end of the show, I, I realized something that uh, this could have been a confusing mess like a lot of other anime that get <laughs> – that are this ambitious with what they're trying to do. But what they do is they, they set up the outline of what's happening and everything stays within those lines. Yes. Like a lot of times you'll get a story where they'll, they'll have a big like world ending story like this with a lot of moving parts and a lot of different characters. And it sounds complicated, but it's not. Right. And everything that happens inside of it is there's a lot of gobbledygook in there, but it's all in service of staying inside these lines that they created, so to speak. And so you're never confused, and it doesn't really matter if you understand exactly what the crazy shit that's happening on screen is. You know that it's all still going in the same direction. They haven't changed the story. The parameters of what's happening didn't suddenly change. They're not moving goalposts around and saying, now it's about this other thing, and oh, now we're adding in another element way too late. You know, yeah, it's... That, yeah. that makes me... That, that reminds me, I mean, the, the, the most... Ex, the, in fact, I think his entire purpose in the story is to exposit the um expository uh like authority who knows the, all the secrets or whatever is, is is the guy who's the head of new to speech yeah because he ever delivers exposit from like episode two or three when he first shows up to the end anytime he ever like explains the basis behind what's going on he's like 
uh, opening and closing his vest to flash his nipples <laughs> or like slowly moving out of the range of something barely covering his crotch. And like he's explaining things that are very serious and he takes himself like really seriously. But <laughs> everybody's just sort of staring at him, you know, like and occasionally covering their eyes as he accidentally like reveals some part of himself naked or whatever. So like at no point does it. Uh, demand that you take uh, the story seriously. It's like, here, absorb this information. We're sorry we have to dump all this information on you. Here, have a cock. Like, it's, yes. it, it's a little baffling. That's exactly right. And one of the things that I really like about that is the story is really blown out of proportion. And it's crazy. It's stupid. And I think the way they present it is so over the top that if you're going to be taking this seriously, you've kind of failed to understand the, the story out of the gate. I mean, it starts off like with, you know, all serious, but it turns out pretty quickly that really we should not be taking this very seriously at all. I mean, I would say within the first 10 minutes. And, and at yeah. that point, you have to start going, all right, well, if I'm going to sit around going, well, you know, they just said this in this episode and this in this episode, I think you get an F for comprehension. Right. Yeah, yeah I was never confused as to what was happening. I mean, right. there were moments where I was like, what? But it, <clears throat> it, it was never like, what? And now... I don't understand where they're going with the story. It's all right. still going in the same direction. I think, I think the moment was about halfway through, and it possibly was when Ragio shows up, which I'm sort of skipping, sorry, um, where there was a few things going on where it became really obvious some of the plot points they were going to choose. And my wife and I were sitting there going, oh, they're totally going to do this, but that's okay. Right. Like, we totally understand what, what's going to happen here, what's going to go on there, and are they really going there? All right, let's see how we get there. And that was kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Dave, what was what was your sort of general take? I've watched it, like, the better part of four times. Oh, geez, really? Um, <laughs> my wife went away for, like, a week, and I had just gotten a Crunchyroll subscription. I was like, might as well go down this path and see what's happening. And I'd watched, like, the first episode a while back, which feels like not maybe the best way to introduce people to that show. Because, like, a lot of jokes that show up in those first couple episodes, like the dad, like, mouth-breathing over her uh, beaten and battered body, like, kind of just disappear after a certain point. But anyway, so, like, I just watch the first couple episodes. I'm like, all right, this is kind of, I'll keep watching it. I don't got anything better to do. And by, like, the third episode, stuff really jumps off in a pretty serious way. And they've got that, like, half-episode-long fight between her and Satsuki and it's like sort of the first really big fight of the show and it's just super energetic and mobile and it just really feels like the show is totally into itself uh, which I probably don't watch as much anime as you guys but I certainly watch enough to kind of feel like anime is really uh, about like playing to, to taste I guess and being like, don't you guys like these specific combination of things in this show? Mm-hmm. So it, it often feels really like a committee sort well, of is. thing. Yeah, it's how that like, produced. <laughs> you know, they like demons and they like little kids and they like economics uh, and they like big boobs. So like, this is the show we're making about demon economic big boobs. Right. Uh, whereas like Kill a Kill felt like it was actually interested in what it was doing. Uh, and it felt like it was having fun. And uh, even though there's like super a lot of fan service, which isn't totally my thing, uh, it felt like it was f- not going to that usual sort of 
anime place, which is a lot about like scandalizing the characters. Yeah. Uh, nothing about it feels like really sadistic. It just feels like uh, a good time, kind of throughout, even at its cruelest moments. Uh, it's just sort of boundless energy, positivity. Um, so, like, my wife came back. I watched it all with her up to the point of being released. Watched it all again. Tried to record a podcast about it. Uh, kind of messed that up. But, like, yeah, I just kept coming back to it in a way that, even though I like stuff like Gurren Lagann, uh, it didn't strike me the same way. Uh, and this is probably, like, my favorite thing I've seen in maybe even a decade. <laughs> like, I certainly haven't watched things three times straight through except for the rare thing like Cowboy Bebop. You know, so. I'd actually agree with that, Dave. Um I really haven't seen something that was so boundless energy is exactly the way I would describe it as well. It's something that was just so having so much fun with itself. And I really had fun watching it as a result. Well, a lot of anime does feel like it because it is. It's pretty a lot of it is produced by committee and th- this isn't like an anime thing. This is like an entertainment industry thing. Mm-hmm. Most uh television shows and movies and stuff where they're expecting to make money on it. There's a lot of uh, stuff produced by committee. You know, I mean, watch a superhero movie. Every decision in those things is made generally by committee. They're designed to wreak maximum profit. Uh, That doesn't mean that none of them are good. Certainly not. It just means that a lot of times it feels like you're watching... you're, You're enjoying a product rather than a work of art that was made by artists. Kill a Kill feels like they were having so much fun making Absolutely. every single part of it that they didn't even stop and think about who else they were amusing other than themselves. And that's infectious, and it makes you want to stick with it and watch more because, God, they're having so much fun. How can I leave this party? Like, you know, and, and, and it feels like a real artistic, you know, in, in service of fun and entertainment and, and cool things happening on screen, it's not like a particularly deep piece of art at least i don't think so um it it definitely feels like artists at play and you don't see Mm -hmm. that a lot in uh in stuff that's generally designed mostly just to sell merchandise and and blu-rays and stuff and again it's no knock on that other stuff that can be very enjoyable but it's rare you get something like this yeah i mean kind of my feeling on it is that i want to see what somebody actually wanted to make yeah. Like yes. That's, that's a primary criterion for why what I want to watch or or read or whatever. Uh, and and this came out around the same time as or at the same time as Space Dandy. And I also kind of got the vibe from that show, where it's just like, yeah, you know, we're kind of making whatever. Yeah. And it's not meant to adhere to like the three uh, pillars of how you make a saleable anime in this day and age. Right. Uh, Kill a Kill being one of the few exceptions to shows like that that actually do uh, break the expectation that they're not going to sell very well. Uh, the show was a big hit over there too, uh, which isn't that common. Um, you know, it, it, it's like uh, the the weird blockbuster movie that comes out that totally defies people's expectations and doesn't seem like everything else ever made, and yet it's still a hit. Uh, you know that you, those movies typically, when you take a risk like that, it doesn't work out for you. Um, so you know that that's definitely a thing. But um, what in terms of like thematically, Dave, did you did you get a lot out of it? Did you feel like it had a lot to say? Uh, I mean, you know, it depends on on what you need. Like I'm 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 still kind of in that mold where I really like acerbic like teenage girl characters. 
Uh, so I'm a soft sell where that's concerned. Oh, well, then this um, is the show for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, especially like Ryuko is like the mold of like my favorite sort of protagonist archetype. So they had me pretty much at the jump. Um, I mean, I don't exactly take the tack that it's like this. I mean, it is a, a, a pretty dumb show, but it dumb things can also be smart sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah just, it's, it's dumb smart. It absolutely so, is. I know a lot of people ask questions about like this game, this show's social leanings, and I'll hold off on that for now. But I got a lot of emotional weight out of this show uh, for whatever reason. Like a lot of the the characters and their arcs, like really resonated me in like a powerful, almost overwhelming way. Uh, even on like the second viewing, uh, I feel like even though it's like pretty standard, you know, I don't like watch a ton of shonen, but I've seen several hundred episodes of one piece so i get kind of get these ideas of like overcoming your greatest foe but your greatest foe is also yourself and overcoming yourself and like growing up with your the person you thought that was your enemy so it's not like this is like new or especially uh, it's it's not really unique stuff but for whatever reason it was really emotionally resonant to me like i really like those characters i really wanted things to work out uh, when the show is kind of at its dumbest with the, like, the Makanologues, like the Mako uh, cutaways where she's just being this, like, cartoon character inside a cartoon. Um, by the end of the show, I feel like even those have, like, a really strong weight. And one of the last ones is where they're on the boat and she's, like... Uh, Ryuko's homeland. The, the Ryuko. This boat is the homeland of Ryuko's soul. She says something like that, something really aggrandizing about her friend, and they're, they're like, "Nobody." She never said that. And she's like, "Well, the one in my head said it," and it's funny, but like, it's also this like really impassioned speech that maybe because it's not taking itself seriously, it becomes a little easier to take it seriously. Whereas if like some like bushy bearded starship captain was saying that in like the space anime 2059, like I would kind of roll my eyes. But because it's like made out of this like super bouncy ball character, uh, it had like a certain emotional weight to me that really surprised me and continues to surprise me even till the very end of the show. Yeah, that uh, that, that little moment. I liked that, too. I thought that was a kind of a. a, a sort of a surprisingly uh, genius way to describe what inspiration feels like when, you, when you're inspired by somebody. Um, yeah. You know, it's a silly way to put it, but the character's basically a child. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there was a, there's a lot of little moments like that in, in this show that I felt were really, uh, really, really smart amidst all the dumb. But, you know, everyone's saying, like, oh, it's dumb in a smart way. I would liken it to, like, you know, you get on a roller coaster, you have a lot of fun on the roller coaster, you get off the roller coaster, you're not like, that was dumb. No, you just had fun. <laughs> like, it wasn't, right. it didn't make you feel stupid for having fun on the roller coaster. At no point did this show ever make me feel dumb. What it felt like, it was this infectious, like, enthusiastic, getting right in my face and saying, you're going to have a good time. And that's it. I never felt, I never felt it was, it was dumb, I guess. And all the, it wasn't, you know, it like, wasn't eye rolling. You never really started to eye roll and do the okay. I'll put up with this because we'll get back to that other thing over there. Yeah, you're sitting there going woohoo! 
let's just jump on the ship. Sure, whatever. You know, right. this is stupid. Clothes are tagging. Yay! You know, it doesn't matter. There's all. I mean, it's it's also fairly canny. In I mean, maybe this is like an anime thing, and I just haven't seen it. But towards the middle of the show, where you're kind of expecting the doldrums, is where things really kick into high gear. But kind of before they do, um, when like her uniform gets chopped up and she has to recover all the pieces. And they have like a clip show and they're like, haha, fooled you. We only actually had a clip show for one minute. And you're all ready to get like super pissed off when they're like, all right, here's going to be the best kill a kill clip show you ever saw. And they're like, we're so fast paced that we just get it done. Even the clip show finishes in a minute. Yeah, they're like, we would like to inform the audience that this is a clips episode. And then it's, it's one minute of fast forwarding. And okay, clips yeah. episode over. And I, I was just so completely charmed by that. that. And yeah. around the same time when she's like recovering the pieces of her, her uniform, you're like, all right, this is like three fourths of Inuyasha coming up <laughs> right now. Uh, and it's maybe like 25 seconds of screen time and accomplished with sort of the best sense of humor I've really seen in recent memory out of, out of an anime where it's just like she comes in and they're playing her like the don't lose your way instrumental version so it's like a leitmotif and she just like rolls in on the motorcycle and chops everybody up and it's like peace and goes to the next one and yeah just to have that sort of sense of humor and awareness about uh, you know the the tropes that these shows tend to fall into uh, just it's very satisfying because the kill a kill doesn't really take a lot of time to be like no no those things are stupid we're so much better than those shows like, it's playing around in the same rules as these similar shows that it is teasing. And I, I like that sense that it's not above other things or it doesn't consider itself better. No, it really, it really wallows. It takes time to really wallow in those trips. Like, like, we're going here. Here's where we're going. Do you want to come with us? And they do wallow. So every fight is, like, really fighty. And every intense emotional scene is really intense and emotional because that's what you're doing right now. It's almost like spending time with a three-year-old, you know, (laughs) today we're tying our shoes. Tying our shoes is the thing we're doing and we're doing it all day long. And that's kind of what every episode is. You're getting even, even the way um, Mako-chan is, you know, the the bouncy ball quality. She is your, she is a a light motif in and of herself because she's saying, here's why we're all inspired by Ruko. And here's why Satsuki is scary. And here's what we who really have no idea what's going on would think at this moment. And you have somebody you can hold on to pretty much at any level of the, the story. Even the characters who are angry are incandescently angry. Everything is on hyper mode. I think, I think one of the things that, that Kill Kill does better maybe than past Imaishi stuff. Because when I first started watching it, I was like, okay, this is an Imaishi, so I'm going to be entertained by it visually. But, you know, the writing may not be good. Uh, uh, I mean, Gurren Lagann was, was a step forward, but I, I felt like Gurren Lagann was also sort of... It, it wastes a lot of time, it wastes a lot of ideas. It, it's, it's exuberance at the expense of, of much weight to, to a degree that... You know, I like it, I like that show, it's fun to watch, but it is just sort of fun to watch. And Kill a Kill seemed to add just enough brain to it without killing, without killing all the... Um, uh, I, I guess all the fun. And, and a lot of that was, I think, the... Not sacrificing that you do have characters that take themselves very seriously, like Satsuki, like, um, I can't remember his name, the monkey general, uh, the green guy. So, oh, Sanagayama. 
Um, you have those characters who take themselves super seriously, but you have Mako, and you have uh, uh, y- you have comic relief characters that are able to spec- you know, spectate on this and say, "Okay, here's what's really going on." Like, let's cut the let's cut through the um, the pretense and the and the serious egos and all the the drama and just talk about this on a practical level and have fun with it and make jokes. And that balance is really nice because it's it's uh, allows them to have a beefier story. I think Killer Kill definitely has a beefier story than most uh, of the past things that that director has worked on, but not not mire it in in uh, in drama and and uh, killing the fun. It doesn't it, it doesn't kill the the strengths of Studio Trigger and, and all those Gynax animators, you know, which is just to kind of go ballistic and have fun. Um, it, it's a good balance, and it's really hard to achieve, and I think Killy Killy achieves it really, really well. So, I mean, would you say, like, wh- wh- how would, how did you feel going into the show, and how long did it take you to really sort of fall in love with it, if you ever if you ever really did? Yeah, well, I did, uh, definitely. Um, I was just completely locked into it as of, I mean, I think I was, okay, whatever, I'll give this a shot up till episode three. And episode three was when Satsuki talked about her motivations as a character. And I went, oh, wow, this is a great character. And Satsuki is a really great character. Um, where she, she kind of dons that uniform and then she says to Ryuko, you know, uh, you put this on because you, you think you, you have to or whatever. You're embarrassed about it. She said, I'm not embarrassed about this. You know, it's like, yes, I'm half naked. Yes, this thing's draining my blood. Yes, I'm under the thumb of my mother. But I'm doing this for my own reasons. And I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. And and it was like, and that was when she was still the villain. She still wasn't a good guy. And it was yeah. like, uh, oh wow. Well, I have to at least see what they're doing with this character, even if I don't know about the plot. And then once we got to talking about Gamagori and Sanagiyama and what motivated them, that's when I was like, oh no, I, I love this show. This is great uh, because because of the strength of the character writing. It was able to be fun and silly and crazy like Gurren Lagann, but it was just so much more human and uh, the writing was more consistent and it was funnier and it was like Gurren Lagann plus like it was like all the things I liked about Gurren Lagann without all the things that I didn't like <laughs> and yeah so uh, did either of you uh, have extended experience with Gurren Lagann before watching the show no I actually watched the first and last episodes today and what, what, what was I, your takeaway I hadn't, what was your I hadn't watched away? any of it at all <laughs> what was your takeaway um well, you know, of course now I'm an expert because I've watched the first and last episodes once. Right. And, uh, you know, I was th- I think there's obvious instant parallels in terms of narrative and art. Um, but uh, it seemed really heavy handed and it seemed to be taking itself seriously in the whole we have to save the world thing. Whereas Kill Kill's save the world plot is so ridiculous that um, I feel like freer to enjoy Kill a Kill, where with Girl Lagan, I would I would have been required to actually care, mm. and with because Kill a Kill didn't require me to care, I actually did almost instantly. The first episode had some scenes that were a little difficult. There were there was some bits in the beginning, uh, some of the perviness, but and you know at first you're, I'm not sure really how I'm supposed to take the services as presented, but then when it just becomes part of the plot and becomes part of the reason for actual things, um, I let that go. And I agree, Satsuki having her own motivation was really important. And in any other series, 
that I've ever watched, Sasuke might have been my favorite character. And the fact that she actually was one of four really amazing female characters is something that really motivated, actually six, um, motivated me. Um, but And that she's not my favorite is part of why I like this story so much. Because in any other series, she would have been like the uber villain. Because she's so, you know, she's so cold and evil. And I, I really, really do like nasty women. So that really moves me. And to have someone even more horrible than her was, was amazing. But I would say it was about episode three or four when I just went, okay, I'm in. We're going to just go through the whole thing. I'm all the way in. Uh, Dave, did you have any experience with Gurren Lagann? Yeah, I think I actually watched it like a time and a half through. Uh, the second time with my wife and we kind of fell off it because... It, I guess Gurren Lagann just doesn't didn't scale as well for me. I, I, like, like you guys said, like as they amped up the stakes, uh, my interest sort of waned gradually more and more. And I'm not immune to that stuff. Like I really like the Getter Robo. Like we're gonna go into space and fight Buddha at the end of the show for all eternity. But for whatever reason, Gurren Lagann kind of lost me at that point. I just felt like. Yeah, they're in space and like everything that was really big at the beginning of the show is now like the size of a pea and everybody's like 10,000 feet tall. Uh, And it just sort of became too much for me where I feel like Kill a Kill's got like an iron grip on its pacing and it's super committed to its aesthetic. Like everything feels coherent by way of everything being ridiculous. Like the machine guns are sewing machines. And uh, Nui, like, leans on her own name. Like, her name is printed out on kanji in the screen, and she uses that as a prop when she talks. And that sort of stuff. Like, uh, uh, Hope was talking about episode three with Satsuki and her being like, she gets this dope line where she's like, everything I do is but an inevitable step to fulfill my ambitions, which is a pretty good line for episode three. Uh, (laughs) But, like, when she's putting on the costume for the first time, uh, they print off this Chinese proverb in this really elegant calligraphy. Uh, as she says the proverb, which is asked not the sparrow how the eagle soars. And the show just, like, means it. Uh, it's it's not, like, joking around or playing for cool points. It just feels like it, it it's buying what it's selling, I guess. And I just... Uh, not that Gurren Lagan felt crass. I don't think it did. I also thought that was, like, a, an interesting show just because it was so passionate and so sort of bro-y um, and not really violent or vile in any way. Um, but Kill a Kill Just Wrong is more sincere to me, and I think that's what, that specifically what gripped me. Yeah, my my experience with Kill a, uh, with Gurren Lagann is, is fairly limited. I, uh, I saw those movies, the recap movies, and then I've seen, I think, half the show, not the whole thing. And, um... That's. I don't think it's anywhere near as strong in material. I think there's superficial and obvious superficial similarities between the two shows. But if anything, this is just a show that learned something from Gurren Lagann and then, in my opinion, took it to a much more interesting place with much more interesting characters and a much more interesting scenario. Like, I, I think it's a dramatically superior show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I never watched the entirety of Gurren Lagann, so... The budget know. doesn't fall out under Kill a Kill as frequently as it did in Lagann, either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, that's a, that's a good segue. We can, we can talk a little bit about the production on this. Um, a lot of people complained about the cut-rate animation in, in some episodes. 
I, I saw that. And uh, this is one of those shows where, um, you know, okay, so anime is a largely a limited animation medium uh, where they work with minuscule budgets, and this is a 24-episode series. And I thought that when they were cutting corners, like, this is how you cut, in my mind, this show is an example of how you cut corners effectively. So you'll have whole episodes where there's not a lot of real animation going on, and that's because they're saving all that money for later for the crazy shit that happens, you know, in the last, like, six or seven episodes of the show. Um, but they do it in a creative and interesting way that you enjoy watching still. Uh, the cardboard cutout characters and stuff and the, the super limited animation. I thought it worked. I thought that was, oh, here's how you, here's how you work with a, with a zero-budget episode and still make it really interesting and fun to watch. Whereas, you know, some you'll, you'll get a show where, like, uh, this entire episode takes place in two different locations. They never walk anywhere, and mysteriously, they're always lifting teacups before oh, they talk. <laughs> you know, I love the character In- Inamuda. Um, I don't know if this was just because it could have been just because it looks cool, or it could have been because it looks cool, and also Teehee we're doing the opposite thing of a lot of things that cut budget. But there's a character who uh, covers his mouth at all times except when he's talking. So. His collar is uh, over his mouth, and you would think, oh, he's, he's the mysterious Megane character who, who covers his mouth and his eyes when he talks, and it saves him on animation. It's like, nope, whenever he speaks, the, the collar opens up so you can see his mouth fully express, and then it closes. And it happens every single time he talks. They never let him talk with the collar covering his mouth, and I thought that was really <laughs> funny because it's like, haha, it's the opposite of you know what a lot of shows actually do to save money. But... Yeah, uh, and and I thought that the, the the moments where they saved all their money, you know, for those moments, uh, it was totally gorgeous animation. I, I think the film, uh, the, the the show has a, a really fantastic uh, color design to it. Um, I if I hadn't seen Space Dandy before this show, I would say it's like one of the best looking shows from a color design perspective. Um, but Space Dandy exists, so I can't say that. <laughs> Um, so, but it looks, it's a great look at show from, from, from that perspective. Um, art design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from like art design at the very least. Yeah, yeah, and just color choice. Like, sometimes anime is really gaudy, and like yeah. this show, this show is dealing in gaudiness, but it's never ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is ugly, it's, it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what did you, from a production standpoint, what did, what did you guys think, uh, Erica? I know you said you weren't interested in this sort of Yeah, thing. I don't really watch it that way. I would totally say the, I would totally agree with you on the color. Um, what I notice a lot of the time is you get that sort of, you know, monster of the day effect where we've got the really super cheesy sort of thing. And in this case, with the Revox being a lot of super um, repeated footage stuff, it worked for what they were doing. And actually, I, I have to agree with you. I think that they were pretty much a study in how you do this in a way that doesn't take the, the watchers out of the story and should and notice all that stuff. Because really, ideally, if you're doing it right... We're not lowing, pointing our fingers and going, oh, look, that was, that was cut right. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that one over there. And uh, I, thought, I thought they did a really great job. Uh, Dave? Yeah, like, like Erica, I'm not super into the, like, uh, counting frames or whatever. And yeah, I never have been. None like, of us I don't, are guys, so Yeah, I don't okay. appreciate it with that or I don't approach it with that sort of minutiae in mind. But... I feel like even when the show is at its most obviously cheaty, it still sort of resounds with uh, – it, it reverberates with a lot of kineticism. 
And like so in the that super long third episode fight, which is just one of my favorite moments in the show, which I keep coming back to, they have like a really long tracking shot of Satsuki as she like runs up a building and jumps in the air. She's given a whole long speech the whole time. And even though the background in that is like the most obvious kind of bad CG, uh, it really uh, put me in the moment. And similarly, sort of in the middle of the show, when they're like whacking each other across the uh, Osaka Sky Tower. I don't know if I really have the tools to be like, this animation was bad versus good, but it, it certainly kept me engaged. And even things that like where they very mostly early on in the show, when they sort of go back to this like super deformed, almost South Park kind of comedy bits where everybody is tiny, has, has like cutesy faces. Uh, that all totally did it for me, regardless of if that is like a production value issue or what, or if they're scrimping at those moments. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, if anything, I like Studio Trigger is um, sort of known for, at this point, at least in my opinion, they kind of know where to spend their money, and they're pretty good at making choices with limited animation that make sense and don't just look shitty and cheap. I mean, sure, there are moments in Kill Kill that look shitty and cheap, but you can tell they're at least playing around and having a little bit of fun with it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's like if they had more money, they wouldn't do this. But since they have the budget they have, what they've decided to do is, like, it's funny. Like, when they decide to cut it down and and have, like, a single cardboard cutout go flying horizontally across the screen, hit something, and then go directly vertically down, it's funny. It does, you know, like, they they play with that. Remember specifically is where Sanagiyama gets hit by, um, I can't remember her name, but the Grand Couturier... Uh, hits him so hard that his clothes rip off, and then he goes flying across the stage. And it's just a, it's just a small uh, cardboard cutout of him flying ass first to the left, and then he mm-hmm. hits a pillar, and, it, and then he starts plummeting ass first downward. And it never moves. It's obviously like somebody just sort of like dragging, like with those those shooting gallery horses or whatever, dragging a shooting <laughs> gallery horse one way and then dragging it another way. And it's like, but that's funny. So you know. Yeah, there was a mindfulness to all the choices, which I think really helped keep you in the moment of the actual narrative, where in a lot of series, it's just, okay, well, we, we've got to the part where we have to cheap out, and we're just going to cheap out in the background. Um, so uh, we, we got a lot of Twitter questions, but before we get to that, I, I definitely want to talk about the show from a thematic standpoint, because I'll admit, like, so I started watching this, I watched the first, like, three, and then said, I'm going to wait for it all to come out on Blu-ray. And then as the online hype for it just got to a fever pitch, I mean, just, you know, could not escape Kill a Kill for days, weeks at a time sometimes. I was like, all right, I better start watching this. I better, I better not put this off anymore because I haven't seen people excited about something like this in a long time. You know, not, and it, it, was, it was refreshing to have a year last year where we had both Attack on Titan, which is a show that everyone got really excited about, and then this which was at least TV original, and everyone was getting really excited about it. Um, and so it was nice to have that. Uh, but, you know, I, I was like, I better get back to this, I better get back to it. And uh, a lot of it was, like, people really discussing in-depth, like, what was happening in the show and, like, thematically what was going on with it. And I have to admit, upon finishing the show, um, I think it's mostly fun. And there's enough going on thematically to hang all of that fun, goofy, crazy stuff on but i don't think the show is particularly deep uh 
Um, yeah. Once, once we, once I got into the final episodes, I realized that the show has the exact same theme. That I think the reigning theme is, of course, nonconformity. Duh. Um, <laughs> but, but the reigning theme that I took away from it that was sort of like, okay, this is the most thuddingly obvious thing is the same theme that is resonant throughout my favorite movie, which is Ed Wood, uh, which is, you can be, you should be a crazy freak, and surround yourself with crazy freaks, and you can get through this world okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, and that's a wonderful, lovely, uh, family values kind of a statement. It's just, it's not relating to a nuclear family, the family you create for yourself um, later in life, which resonates with me as a person, and and heavily in that movie, and then also in this show, and to, towards the end, it gets she's just outright stating, "I'm weird," and yep. that's it. Like one of my favorite moments is when it's in the very last episode, her mom is like, "This doesn't make any fucking sense," and she goes, "I don't make any fucking sense," and then they, hey. <laughs> and then they blow up the world. That was pretty much the moment we stood up and started applauding we were like you know what it's about time we stopped doing the oh we all have to work together and blah 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 like all the typical shonen stuff where it's like it's strength it's teamwork it's guts it's we're fucking crazy that's what it's all about (laughs) and that was just a a wonderful moment because you know honestly everybody watching the show is probably fucking crazy right and (laughs) so who are we really resonating with oh well we all have to you know get together with our classmates and defeat whatever no what we have to do is find the family, find the other fucking crazy people who fit all the holes that we got and work together. Yeah. And that was, that was really, that is absolutely the theme, but it's also a theme that I think resonates real. That's got to be the theme that resonates the most strongly for pretty much the audience anywhere. Sure. Exactly. But I feel like, you know, there's a few other little things in there, but that's pretty much it for Kill the yep. Kill. Yeah. That's I the mean, main the, thing. The, the major thing. So this, this was also, Basically, the theme of Gurren Lagann, except for it was it was a little bit more about uh, uh, this is the thing that makes us human, mm-hmm. and uh, Kill a Kill it it sort of takes that and instead of saying like this nonconformity this 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 free will is what makes us human, it was this free will this nonconformity is what makes us ourselves as individuals. Uh, rather than as a, as a collective humanity. Like, Gurren Lagann ends with the collective humanity fighting off the collective anti-spiral of pure logic and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's pure, cold logic. And obviously that's not really what they're fighting in Kill a Kill. They're fighting authoritarian, uh, authoritarian conformity of you will be like this, here is your bridal dress, here is your... Uh, you are this general, this is the hierarchy... You know, and then ultimately, ultimately, yeah, the the hierarchy past the human past the human part. At first, it's Sotsky who was creating this uh, unfair hierarchy where it's like you are this person, you are that person, I am the queen, etc. And it's all in service of overthrowing her mother, who is ultimately like uh, these fibers are the are the ruler, and humanity is food, and that is your place. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a little bit more about individualism rather than uh, humanity as a whole. It's like everybody everybody as as independent people. But um, yeah, I mean, like I I, uh, I figured that was that was kind of the biggest thing that the show had to say because it was just so. I mean, it was so blatant. It was so hammered in with the the school uniforms are like military uniforms. 
clothes are a way to define yourself to define yourself and put you in a collective that defines you. You know, and clothes should be about individualism or whatever. You know, and it's like, oh, right, this is really really obvious. But I, a lot of maybe Tumblr and other like internet communities didn't see that. They like focused on different things entirely. But that was my takeaway from it. I thought that was the biggest. I thought that was the biggest thing. Uh, Dave. Yeah, I feel like in the end it's all about overcoming Uniqlo and their heat tech technology. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have that out in L.A., but um, sitting under those subway ads every day, you get to about the midpoint of that show and you're like, they're talking about Uniqlo. They're <laughs> like, incredibly cheap but somewhat durable T-shirts. Um, they certainly have it in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's that it's that self determination stuff. It, for me, it wasn't really about, you know, it's a lot of like rebellion against your parents. You are not what I'll become, uh, which you can find in just about any anime. I'm sure. Uh, for me, it was just purely execution of the characters. They were all so strong that you know I don't mind a. A well well tread theme if there's if they've got the like sort of people in the writing to back it up. Sometimes decapitation of the characters. Sure, <laughs> but you can come back from that. So what, what, there was also a little classism in there, but I think it was very almost aside the point. Yeah. Well, what, so what I'm getting is is that everybody sort of walked away with the same basic message, and there wasn't. It doesn't sound like there's anyone who's like, no, this show is actually about this other thing. <laughs> Not on this podcast presently, but I. No, so but but that that's sort of my question. So nobody else was like, oh, but really it was about no, this it was really about the whole individualism. And I think actually that's a a fairly significant point because individualism is not a typical quality that you'll see in anime at all, much less shonen or fighting anime, because individualism goes against pretty much everything they're taught in anime you're always taught it's always about the group it's about the group it's about the group and this was like be yourself and that actually makes the group stronger and well i like that it balanced that so one of the things i really really liked about about the smartness the smartness of the dumbness of kill a kill is that it did have nuance to it it wasn't just oh be yourself blanket statement it, it there was a balance between uh um ryuko is is too wild like she's too untempered and she and she doesn't, you know, she kind of needs something to believe in. She needs something to center herself, to focus. And Satsuki has that, and they kind of take that from each other. Um, and uh, but Satsuki's problem is is the opposite. It's 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 not that she's not being herself. Like obviously she has a lot of growing to do. She has like some s- uh, severe issues. But you can't, you know, from the very beginning say that it's because she wasn't being herself. So what is her problem? Well, her problem is that she. Uh, is not connecting to these other people. She's using them as, you know, like, this is what you mean to me, this is what you mean to me, I'm putting you in, this, in these boxes in my head, and this is what I'm, you know, supposed to be. So it's, it's, it's be true to yourself and, and not just a way where it's like, do whatever you want, you know, be, be however you feel at any one moment. It's, it's also about others in a way that it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not like, oh, you're part of this group and you need to function as this cog in the collective because that's the bad guy's stance. In fact, right, it's not right. stance, even though she's very much being herself as an individual. It's, it's you need to support the ability of everybody else to be individuals. And, um, you know, Satsuki has to step down from the big 
glass throne or whatever, you know, she has to step down from her position as the leader of the, this whole thing and, and work in, in congruence with everybody. And Ryuko has to work in congruence with anybody because she starts out, she's alone, she doesn't want friends, she doesn't, you know. So it's not just be yourself as an individual, but it's it's about family too. But it's Yeah, and there's the, the emotional development are. into what being yourself as a, as a more mature individual might mean. Right, so it's, so it's like all that shonen-y stuff about family and togetherness and teamwork, but without the the whole work hogs in a collective thing that can come, sometimes come with that. Yeah, I think that I think that kind of that kind of sums it up. And and, and sort of sort of obviously what I'm, what I'm pointing out here is that a huge part of the discussion about this show broke down into is it feminist or is it misogynist? Um, and uh, you know, just to just to sort of put my theory out there about this, uh, having having seen the show. Um, it's just a show that happens to have women as its lead characters. It is not about gender. It is not about feminism or misogyny. It is not about these women's relationship to men or otherwise. It just happens to be about female characters and little else. And uh, I, I sort of wanted to throw this out there. I think it's kind of sad that we can't have a show that just happens to star female characters in the lead roles and has nothing to do with their relationship with men. And the conversation can't ever get away from, is it feminist or is it misogynist when the show is not yeah. touching on any of that stuff yeah. at all. It's yeah. nowhere in the themes. I, you have to make shit up in order for this show to be about that stuff. You well, know, I, I was thinking about that a lot when I was looking at the questions on Twitter today and I was thinking that you could actually make a really strong case for either being, you know, misogynist or feminist. But I think, I think you're absolutely right that, that what we're seeing is a show where that be, that's, this is the, this is the show that a lot of people are always saying, why can't we just have a show where the, the leads might or might not be female and, and the show happens and we, we stop talking about that for 35 seconds. I, that's, that's the position I take. I think, you know, you could be, take a very strong feminist position and say any um, sexualizing, any service of any kind is really – it's bad for everybody if you wanted to take that position. But I think it also misses the point of what some of that service was meant for. And, and some of it is meant to, to heighten the absurdity of service. So yeah. so I think there's a good good perspective for saying it's actually a pretty feminist show in that the leads are all female and they are, there are good, there's bad, there's but fuck crazy, and there's a, there's a variety of characters, both male and female, taking different positions that are more complex than just this is my line. I just, you know, I like this. I I just I think that you take a show like this, and you're and if the idea is oh the fact that all the lead characters are female that's just inherently somehow political. Fuck yeah. that. No, it's not. It, it's no, nothing it's not. to do with gender politics. Like. Yep. It just happens to have female characters as the lead. I think it's a more interesting show for it. I Agreed. think that uh, I was, I was, I'm much more interested just because so rarely do we get anything like this where it just happens to have a bunch of female characters in the leads and it's not about romance or anything like that. Uh, we get it so rarely that it feels like it's maybe it feels like it's political. But if you even look at it for more than ten seconds, think about it for longer than a minute, you're like, oh, that has nothing to do with this. It just happens to have female lead characters. It's just, it's kind of sad to me that this has to be treated as inherently somehow political and we have to put it in, under that prism. Like the same thing, I feel like the same thing happened to Frozen. Mm -hmm. 
where it just yeah. happened to be chiefly about two two female characters. But let's no, it's got to be about is this feminist? Is it misogynist? Is it feminist enough? Is it to this that that the other thing? You know, well, the movie wasn't about that. It had nothing to do with that. So what are you even talking about, Dave? What what do you think? Well, I I, I definitely represent the tact where. Everything is political, whether you want it to be or not. Okay. Uh, that being said, I think it's like it's a pretty natural reaction. I think if if you're pretty young, and especially if you're sort of just discovering these causes, uh, to want to label everything you like as progressive and everything you don't like as uh, p- problematic, which I know is a word that gets razzed on a lot on yeah. the internet, but yeah. I think still has value. Yeah. Uh, in certain circumstances, for example, I would say that the fan service in this show is problematic um, because uh, which it's problematic for me, by which I mean, when I was watching this show, a thought that was going through my mind the whole time was, why isn't this bothering me? Uh, and I sort of had to come to grips with it. And there's very little in this show that bothers me. Uh, and I say that as a person who's like... Uh, pretty against this sort of like interpretation of the fan service as like sadistic scandalization that I really feel like a, a lot or most anime with fan service into it goes to where like, it's really about shame. Uh, sometimes it's like about almost torture. I don't know if you guys have seen stuff like Queens blade, I guess is my example mm-hmm. of stuff where it's just like, uh, this person person is like writhing and in pain, but because they're mostly naked, uh, it's supposed to be hot. And that's like fairly disturbing to me. Uh, I think you're allowed to have your like feminist interpretation of the show. Obviously, of it's course. not for me to take that away from you. Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty strongly alternative interpretation because I feel like a lot of people use that Satsuki line where she's like, you know, hope and you guys, you referenced it earlier in the show where she's like, you got to get over yourself. Uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it means bearing my breasts. Uh, and I feel like that's just like the show's fig leaf for like, hey, we're, we got a bunch of nudity in this show. Because I feel like, I guess the question is just like, what is Kill a Kill doing to disassemble the patriarchy, quote unquote, that makes it feminist? In your interpretation, yeah, I, uh, there's well, like a for, bell hooks quote that said, "You can't disassemble the patriarchy by playing into their imagery." Well, uh, to some extent, I think I think by by showing up, first of all, by having service both for both the men and the women, I think that to some extent, for some fandom, equates to sure, totally equality. It's a, it's you know, a super or not, egalitarian show. Yeah, exactly. And and I could see where that's sort of like, well, look, we're, we're taking the piss out of service and being so over the top and so blatant and not coy. I mean, when you compare it to something like Soccer Trick, where it's all supposed to be cute and innocent, and yet we obsessively stare between girls' legs. And then you've got this. It's like we're just looking at their cross straight up. And it's – which is actually – more offensive absolutely for me it's the coy cute is aren't we being sweet we just happen to be staring at a girl's skirt oh yeah um, and, and when you're looking at something like this you, if you're going to be offended it's like well then then clearly you should not be watching this because it's only going to get worse from here you know and there's <laughs> but there is some pretty offensive stuff in there um when, when um Ruko, Ruko puts on a sengetsu for the very first time it's a pretty hard scene if you've got any 
abuse triggers. Yeah. So like um, I mean, that episode. was a really yeah. That was that was. I mean, in fact, when I did my review, one person wrote in and was like, "How could you even get past that?" And I said, "Well, you know." I trusted that the series wasn't going to be like that. And if it was, then I was going to stop. But that one scene was really, really hard. Um, so, you know, it is hard. I mean, I totally agree with you, Zach, that it's kind of frustrating that we always have to be talking about this. But on the other hand, we do always talk about this because there is so little that anyone can point to that says, you know, well, hey, here's a series that has strong female characters, quote unquote, strong female characters that doesn't have them talking about guys and and also gives them society and that's one of the things that really stands out here is that all of the characters even Satsuki who is uh, in some sense extremely isolated she still has society which she doesn't realize until the very end of course you know but but and that's part of her emotional development but we don't have people in total isolation from anybody to talk to and that's the sort of thing that makes me think it's it's more, quote-unquote, again, feminist because there's a sense of it's not about ripping people out, taking everything they have, and making them fight the bad guy and, and until they almost die all by themselves. And that's kind of the way a lot of you know strong female protagonist series tend to set it all up. Mm. And we start off there. We start with Ruko having lost everything and trying to get it all back. But by the end, we give her everything back. Yeah, I you know that that I remember the big outcry over that first episode and the scene with the with the Sunketsu and uh, some people say this is a rape show and it's like well, uh you know it was what? a pretty that, hard scene. That's a hard scene and I totally agree with what you're saying like if you have abuse triggers that's tough. And and I I don't disagree with that. However, it's like by the end if you watch the entire show like the whole thing is just folding into the nonconformity thing so hard that even look like by the end if you look back at that scene you're like oh that's not what that was about at all yeah right like, you know so it's it's hard to it's to like, some extent i think with, with any any decent series you have to be a little patient and fans aren't typically well very especially patient. with stuff like this now it's mm-hmm. we got the knee-jerk brigade yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I mean, even setting even setting aside the knee-jerk brigade right. I, I i think i think being patient is not what anime fans typically are going to... They want the story presented in nice, meaty chunks but are easy, you know, easily digestible. It's sort of like the Big Mac of narrative. And um, if you have something that might be, we're holding on to this for later, or this has to be a little more subtle, right now you just have to wait to see how it plays out, that's where you get a lot of real frustration with, with those sorts of scenes. Well, and, and, and there's a scene late in the show where um, Mako is wearing the, the Senketsu, and she's uh, uh, Ryoko is, is inside the uh, like she's inside the insidiously made ultimate outfit, and they're like ripping a chest wound open in her to like stuff the nonconformity back inside of her. <laughs> but by that time, the nonconformity metaphor is so over the top and ladled on so thick that even though the outfit screams, I'm forcing myself on you. At no point are you interpreting that as, oh, this That's is about right. rape. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I mean, no, no, it by really that time you've had, the, by that time you've had the time to get to know the characters, and it doesn't strike you as like just such a weird choice for like the first episode of yep. the show. Yeah, totally, totally. it did make me shy away a little, and I was like, yeah, maybe I'll come back to this one. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like the circles that I that I run in online, 
and just and the opinions that people want out of me online and stuff like that, I am like buried, buried in the fucking like it, talk about this from a feminist perspective on everything <laughs> to the point where I get I get sick of it, and it's like I'm so tired of it. I want to talk about things like not from a feminist perspective, but like specific. But when it comes to that stuff, like I'm so used to it, and my brain is so inundated with it, I have like two different answers that I can come to real quick for when people say, "Is this feminist? Is this misogynist? Whatever." And it's it's two different questions. Is this yep. intentionally feminist? Does this have a feminist message or a misogynist like slant? Does this have a mis- feminist or misogynist worldview? For Kelly Kelly, answers no. It has neither. It is it has neither of those things at all. Um, the the second question is: Is this feminist uh, un unintentionally subliminally? And for Kelly Kelly, I would say yes. I would say yes because I, I remember when I hear when I started hearing about the dub for this, I was like, oh boy, there's gonna be a dub for that. I guess that'll be fun, you know, like the girl in the gun dub. That was fun. And I and I was and uh, I started thinking to myself, I wonder what I just I just sort of start thinking about like what people are gonna play, what characters or whatever, and what kind of voice types would fit what characters. And it hit me like really hard. Oh my god, Kill a Kill would be such a treat for a voice actress to try out for compared to so many other anime. Because yeah. there's not a single bad option. What are you going to get cast as? Okay, so, like, think of um, most anime, even good ones. Like, um, I would say Attack on Titan is a show that I would consider very feminist, actually, and um, very thoughtful and a good show with good characters. But at the same time, all the fun parts are the boys. Like, you know, like, the, the most major female character in Attack on Titan is Mikasa. That's not necessarily a fun part. And, uh, you know, like, the, the odds that you're going to get a fun character as, as a woman in Attack on Titan are, like, one to five ratio for the fun characters that the boys get to play. You know, you want Sasha or Hanji. Um, yeah, but whoever gets Sasha wins big, Sasha right? Whoever gets Sasha wins the lottery, and, and she did, Ash Burgess. I don't know. I think, I think Hanji would be the, the win role because... Well, Sasha more lines. So. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But in terms of fun, I think, well, in terms of, for my, my interpretation of fun, which is more about complexity and subtlety, I think Hodge would win. But that's right. me. But for Kill a Kill, let's see. You get Nanan, you get Mako, you get uh, uh, Crazy, what's her butt, the Grand Kateria, I can't remember her name. <laughs> Nui. count them. So, like, Ryuko, Mako, Satsuki, all, so far, great characters. Nanan, Mako... Mako's Nui. mother is still like a plus. Ragyo. Ragyo would be like the greatest it. role ever. Yeah. I don't care who you are. I mean, anybody who got to try out for Ragyo, just even try the tryout would be the mm-hmm. best thing ever. I mean, I, Ragyo is the role model I aspire to in real life. Yeah. So when, when she came out on the screen, I was like, this is the greatest anime I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, this is, that's such a, fa- it would be such a fantastic voice role. Yeah. You're I'm never going to match that voice, though. Not so deep. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah. And it's like, it to me, like, that's the greatest proof that this is a feminist show, accidentally. It, it, it's feminist in the way that, hey, human are, it, uh, women are people. They're human and yep. they're equal to men and they can and they can just express themselves as people in their own narrative. Nothing proves that to me more than pretend you're an actress trying out for Kill a Kill. Who do you want? And it's like, I'll take any one of these ten characters. <laughs> yep. They're all fun. So. But uh, I, I did want to point out two things, like uh, that uh, using using Dave's word problematic. Um, mm. I do think there are two things in the show that bug me about the service. Uh, somebody brought this up on Twitter, and I think they're right. Uh, the, the 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 fan service towards the females isn't creepy. Um, you're just 
staring at their tits. Like yeah. that's what you're doing. They're they they make no bones about it. It's not like salacious. It's not like from the ground up and ooh, we shouldn't have the camera down here, should we? Like nothing like yeah. that. Just straight up, full on. Yep, here's her ass. Um, <laughs> th- okay, but that's all played for titillation. It is. The male fan service is all played for laughs. Yep. I, by and by and large. <laughs> so I mean, I, I wanted to Don't approach this. So when I, I was talking with my wife about this, and there's a scene pretty early on um, where Sumugu, who's the Mohawk guy, is like reloading his guns in like some abandoned shack or something, and he's naked, and you get like a resplendent view of his huge back muscles, muscles, and his super tight butt. Uh, and my wife was like, that was pretty hot and like definitely framed to be hot. And he's in like a sweaty jungle and he's sweating while like he does machine work. Uh, I do agree that by and large, the male fan service is kind of jokey, but I, think I the reason for also that was- feel like, uh, Mickey Sugi, the teacher, uh, represents like a, an archetype that you don't really see in a lot of like super mainstream stuff. Primarily aimed at men, I guess you would say. Like, he's super live uh, and kind of femi. Uh, he's the Akio from Utena. You know, he's yeah. the, the, the slimy but incredible, a smarmy and slimy but incredibly well-groomed and kind of sort of attractive to the kind of people who would be attracted to that kind of bad guy. Yeah, and he's like but this he, But he's not troll. a bad guy. He's, just, yeah. he's, he's, yeah. a, he's a red herring. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even like with Gamagori, I think when, when we get him losing his Goku uniform, you know, I mean, he's he's naked and we see his butt, too. And he's obviously ridiculously over muscled and everything. But, but there's I don't know. I kind of felt like there was almost a sort of an honesty about it that I don't normally see with service. I mean, there's it's it's yeah, I'll always go with it being problematic. Why do we constantly have to see it at all? But because they committed to it, they decided to really just go. Crazy over the top, and the very first time we see somebody lose a Goku uniform who's male, we see him go flying naked. And I thought, well, okay, if we're going to be at least even-handed about it, I can accept it. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys are all talking about like uh, it not being coy, it being straightforward. Like there isn't a scene in this show where a woman is driving and the the shot is like from the accelerator looking up yep. her skirt or something like that. At the same time, well, I mean. I'm loath to like go too deep because I feel like the stuff I read about this show is it feminist? Is it not? Like it, it, it all this stuff is couched in Western perspectives anyway, and I didn't get the impression that like the people talking about it were really coming with a lot of context about what feminism yeah. might even mean in Japan. Yeah. Which I feel like you got to be cautious with that stuff. But like I said, like that Satsuki stuff about being willing to bear your breasts is like. A super fig leaf, if you forgive the terminology. It's just like, here's our excuse for why we have fan service. If this was a show really about, like, overcoming fan service, quote unquote, or instead of relishing in it, like, there wouldn't be as many scenes of her, like, hanging upside down by her suspenders while her breasts jiggle. Or, like, we had to invent a new term for this show, which was front butt, because you could (laughs) see their butt from the front. (laughs) <laughs> like as it jiggled, I, and I think that's fine. Like it's not; it's as, uh, against all odds. It's not creepy, uh, but it's not 
but it, but it's still Super there, and it, yeah. it has to. It's still there, and that's that's where you. That's where I think you can make the case for being, yeah, feminist, no feminist. If you really wanted to sit down and have this conversation, um, as we're having now, you could make a case for it. Yeah, if there's no, if you really wanted a genuinely feminist series, you wouldn't have that sort of, um, you know, you know, service at all. Because it yeah. would be not the point. Why are we sexualizing these bodies to any extreme, much less this extreme? So I think I think there's a good case for 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 making ma- there's there's cases to be made for it being feminist and not being feminist, and they're both probably pretty valid. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I feel like most of the problem stems from if I could like sort of guess what the intent was. I mean, like, I feel like most of the problem just, just stems from the fact that most of the animators, writers, in fact, I mean, like, 99% from my, what I remember when I did research on this a long time ago when, when first watching the show, like, 95, 99% of them are men. And okay. I think that their intent was, this is a show where we're using the framing device of clothes versus, like, nudity to, to, get, this, to get this idea across. And we're going to play a lot, because the female nudity is played for laughs sometimes, too. And there is guy nudity that is uh, fanservice-y in nature and not just played for laughs. You mentioned the, that guy, there's also some yeah. stuff with Sanagiyama that's like, oh, this is this is obviously for the ladies. Or, you know, whoever likes looking at this. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it, uh, but it, it's a little uneven. Be- I think it's uneven because the intention was we're gonna we're gonna have a bunch of nakedness on screen pretty frequently, and we will play it by ear as to what it's supposed to mean. So sometimes it's sexy, sometimes it's funny. Yep. When it's a bunch of men working on a thing, they're gonna find the lady stuff sexy more often, and, and the guy stuff the guy is, stuff. is more teehee. Like for the guys, it's like for for the girls, there's no jokes about haha, you have shitty boobs or whatever. But there's a lot of Look, his penis is small jokes. Like, that happens, like, five times. Always with Sanagiyama, bless his heart. But, like, there's no, they're, they're not going to say that about the girls because it's a bunch of guys, right? So they know. And at the same time, they're not going to go, like, stare at this guy's sculpted abs or whatever because it's, you know, from their perspective, no. They have the transformation sequence where it's like, look at the boobs bounce. Yay, that's fun. So I don't think there was any ill intent one way or the other. I think it's just a, it's just a matter of, well, this was made by a bunch of dudes, so what are you going to do? I, yeah, I, I just, I just yeah. want to point out that to me um you know i did agree with that that a lot of the the dude fan service played for laughs and the ladies lady fan service is generally played for titillation the show however in the final episode is basically a end of evangelion joke and <laughs> at the end of the show everyone on earth is naked yeah. yep and then it's ha 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 at the end and you're like okay well <laughs> i guess everyone's nude now even Mako's dad is naked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Everyone's naked forever. <laughs> and it's funny, and you realize at that point that, well, maybe it's a little silly to talk about it at all, but no, it, it yeah, yeah. It ends that way, and I think that's a, a pretty good way to sum it up, and I think any conversation about it, if you say, you know, this is how the show ends, uh, <laughs> it, it does sort of say something about what ultimately what the show was trying to do, which was mostly be funny and fun. Uh, I feel like if you really need a buzzword, you could probably use sex positive. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, Hope's point or is naked, totally accurate. It's like, Na- these are dudes, positive. they're probably just like by statistics going to want to draw ladies naked. And like sort of the reality is like anime is for slang and product. It's like the most commodified medium 
outside of video games. Like right. this stuff is made to be turned into figures and hug pillows, and that's going to like pollute whatever reading of it you want to have. Like you can't ignore that stuff. Um, and I think coming away from it, there's like one of the best gags in the series is when um, after the post-apocalypse or after, during the post-apocalypse, after the apocalypse happens, and they bring back the Monkanchoku's kid, uh, the mom spends the whole time her kid is returned, like peeping on Nikitsugi's bone and just sort of like gradually insinuating herself into a frame so she can get a better look at it. It's a running uh, gag too. It like pops up episode to episode anytime. Yeah, it just keeps coming back. And I feel like that, I mean, What's when I see something like that, it was handled with such tact that I guess I just really want to give him props because it was so funny and it wasn't really played for like, isn't it so gross that this mom has a sex drive? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So, so I do have really good feelings about the show, even though I would be hesitant to put like really rigorous academic labels on it. Uh, okay. So uh, the other thing that I just wanted to point out the the the, the only thing that I thought was a a big big dumb bad idea misstep not executed properly and didn't belong in the show was the incestuous sexual abuse between uh, Rego and uh, Satsuki. Oh, that was so. Forced, uh, really forced. Yeah. It was, you that know, was like the some, worst bit of service in the entire. You can she's well, evil. you yeah, you can get. Yeah, you, can, you can have something that that is going for a lot of shock value and it's trying to be over the top and funny, and then they can make one choice and you're like, ew, yeah, like why this didn't need to be in here. It didn't and even the thing need is, to well, be you in could there. have just tortured Satsuki and we would have known she was horrible enough. Yeah, it led to you nothing. Know, it was just one. It was one thing too many. Yeah, it led to nothing. It meant nothing. It had no reason to be in there. It yep. was just a bad choice. Correct. It doesn't mean the show is bad or evil or anything like that. It's just okay. They tried a little too hard to be shocking, and they made they took one step too far. And you're like, hey, let's back off from that. Thankfully, it's a couple seconds of the entire show. It's like so. it's like in American comics when they when you have the good guy and they have to rape his girlfriend, wife, sister, whatever. It's like it can't be that she was robbed or there was a carjacking. It was always rape. It's always rape. Yeah. It's like, so, when they're like, look how evil she is. She's doing this to her own daughter. You know, there's just one too many. Yeah. So I, I, I actually disagree with you guys. Well, hang on. Right. Not, gotta... not without qualification, mm-hmm. but uh, that stuff was going on in the show or it was fresh in my mind when I was playing uh, the new Metal Gear game which uh, has, like, a lot of just, like, really intense uh, sexual abuse in it. That's, like, sort of beyond the pale. Uh, And so I couldn't help but think of one or the other, and I ended up writing uh, a blog post about it, which was sort of about, like, the subjectivity of the abuse. Uh, And, Erica, when you say, like, in comic books, uh, they have to rape the hero's girlfriend yeah like totally that's super gross um and the things that kill kill is not not gross like that is definitely played from a pervy angle that i was not comfortable with but at the same time i was like sort of profoundly discomforted by how sort of uh dispassionate it was um and not in a way that like oh i'm creeped out by this because people who make anime are creepy and this is creepy anime stuff i was like wow this is like really intense uh, and i feel like what made it work for me 
is that by that point in the show, you already know Ragio is like super, super evil and she doesn't really need to be amped up. Uh, so my reading of it was not from her perspective, but Satsuki's. Um, and it's sort of how I watched it. Um, uh, unlocked like a new level of respect for her. I, that's a weird phrasing, but you get this understanding of the character that how much she is willing to overcome and because she is the focus of that plot arc and not her mom, the rapist, uh, is what made it functional for me uh, and, you know, somewhat powerful in a sense because, as Erica said, yeah, like, so frequently it's not even the main character. It's like somebody's girlfriend to make Cyclops feel bad or whoever. Like, that's where the, the term women in refrigerators comes from. It's just like, oh, look at you. You're a disposable prop. And we're going to use you to forward the story of some guy. Uh, and I felt like what was going on there was Satsuki's story, not, not Ryoko's, certainly, and, like, not even her mom's. Like, I really felt like the way that stuff was framed, um, even though it's, like, cutting to her, like, blushing face or or Ragyo's hand going between her legs, it's, like, really about Satsuki and how she feels in those moments and how, uh, how much she has to endure and how strong she is because of it. I, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to speak outside my, my bounds, but... Um, no, I think that's a great perspective. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think it, that's a- It just felt more nuance to me than that stuff literally ever is but you know david i think your your reading of the nuance is, is actually quite eye-opening i had never considered that before and i'm really really impressed by that um well, the, like the, said, the, you're right the fact that we'd already established ragio is evil i think there was still a sense of sort of we have to insert evil here yeah no that is totally you know that is like so common it is just pervasive like, yes, exactly. I, but but your point of your point that it's really about Satsuki's it, again her emotional growth yeah, was, guess, is really is really eye opening. I, I like it a lot. And I, yeah, I you know, I just want the focus to be on the person, and that's why I, I contrasted it with Metal Gear because that is like literally like this character who barely existed in the games before, sure. like. <laughs> It gets, it's just like, I can't even describe it. It's so absurd and cruel, like just the most sadistic mm-hmm. stuff I've ever seen in a video game. And then they literally blow her up with a bomb in her vagina at the end. Okay. Like, and so to experience those two things right next to each other, I was like, okay, this is about Satsuki. This other thing is about like, isn't this guy like the meanest villain you've ever seen? Yeah, and yeah. isn't everyone else going to be so sad about it. <laughs> okay, I, I agree with you, and I th- like I said, I think, I think you make some really great points. I would still argue that for a show that, again, using the term that you used, which I think is really, uh, really e- extremely apt for this show, sex positive to the point of camp, throwing that in there is tonally dissonant yeah, and, yeah. Not, and not necessary, and not necessary to tell the story. I, I totally get what you're saying. It's just to me, tonally, throws you completely off. Like the train goes off the tracks for a couple seconds there, and you're yeah, like, like said, "Why like, is this suddenly getting about gross sexuality?" When before, it's almost a celebration of nudity. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, I have a few well, minds on it because I, when I saw the scene 
I mean, I, I kind of had two reactions. Is, is one is this isn't necessary. Uh, the two, it was like this. This it didn't upset me either because uh, for the reasons that basically that you brought up is because it's like this is not just here to shock. It's it's because and it is in there twice. There's there's first yep. there's the bath thing and then there's the spankings and uh, the hang spank hang, being hanged mm-hmm. off. Anyway, you don't so, need to clarify. The hang spankings. <laughs> I just wondered if maybe there was a pun I could. Never mind. Anyway, so there's the hang spankings, and and in both cases, it's it's about uh, Sotsky's resolve, and it's not about like exhibiting this for us as isn't this isn't this shocking. It's certainly not isn't this sexual. I think it is explicitly. Uh, it is a little though, right? No, I like, think I definitely got a feeling. The first one, there was definitely a checklisting going on. Yeah, I mean, there's like, like a lot of sensuality. Fet- in the yeah. scene. I-, I felt like this was a little bit like, oh, Yuri is a fetish we haven't done yet. Let's well, make sure we throw that in. But I, I mean, like, so, so I mean, it was unnecessary, but at the same time, I, it wasn't a negative for me either. It wasn't, oh, I wish this wasn't in here. The show would be better. It was like, well, I mean, I can see what they were trying to do, and without this, we wouldn't have very many scenes between Satsuki and her mother, so maybe they just should have framed it differently. And from mother's perspective, I actually got why she was doing that. And the reason she was doing that is because when she expresses herself, she talks about loving her daughter in the capacity that she's lost all her humanity, and the only way that she understands, the only way that she can understand to love her daughter is the same way that Junketsu understands how to love something, which is to consume it. And so she basically, she's a human, Ragyo is a human piece of clothing. And she strips down Satsuki and caresses her body and stuff like that because it's... I mean, when you see Senketsu, he does almost the same thing, except he's not hes not quite clothing and not quite human. He has some humanity in him because that was the special thing that her father left behind is this has to have humanity in it for this to work, unlike Junketsu. And, and you know, it's imperfect, and that's what makes it perfect. Again, another theme of the show. But, like, it, because Ragyo is the perfect version, because she is just, like, this impartial alien... Clothes are aliens. Because she is this alien thing... Her, her. The only way that she knows how to basically express affection for Satsuki and say, "Come to my side, don't you love me?" is to violate and control her, and you know, put her body all over her body while naked because she's a, she's a human piece of clothing. So that I was like, okay, that's what they're trying no. to do with this. However, it, immediately the first thing that you're going to pop into your head is, "Oh, this is rapey." But I, I got why. I didn't think she was just doing it. To be shocking, I thought that's that's the train of thought that the writers were going down when they had her do this, is because that's what how Ragio thinks now. She's just all this alien cloth material. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. When when my wife and I tried to record a podcast about that, we sort of went down the like transhuman line for her, that like she has moved past these petty morality. But I mean, obviously, you have to view this from like what is anime's. If not number one fetish, it's like right. definitely in the top yeah. five, it's a and it's incest, and or at least like that is something that we view in the anime that is sent to us, like sort of what we perceive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of incest, like yeah. probably more per capita than a lot of other mediums. Yeah, so I, uh, I guess and the, it's it's played for hotness. Yeah. So you have to view it through that lens. The you can't TLDR escape it. Not arguing that. Like, is this necessary? No. Is it out of character or completely unjustified? No. No. I mean, it's not. No. It isn't. So it's like, man, okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just sort of like, I wish I didn't have to come away from Kill a Kill with so many 
um, caveats for people who are not like super ingrained anime fans. Yeah, like yeah. I could not give this to the same person I give Akira to, even. No, but I did think while watching it, like this is the new thing. Like this is what this stuff looks like now. This mm. is how it plays now. This is this is sort of modern. Uh, and I don't mean this in any way other than potential appeal to a mainstream audience. Uh, it's a little Ninja Scrolly, a little mm-hmm. Akira y. Mm-hmm. I think somebody who isn't into anime could watch this and go, This is fucking crazy! Yeah. And yep. really enjoy it. And also, it's got just enough. Uh, well, if you're an anime fan, you'll know what's going on, but if you're not, you're going to be really creeped out. <laughs> um. I mean, I guess when, when Akira, that was how I framed it. But when you bring up Ninja Scroll, it's like, yeah, totally. Uh, that is the same, like, within 30 minutes, there's a snake coming out of yep. his vagina. Right. And, like, if somebody can tolerate that, they can probably handle Kill a Kill. It, it's, sort of, <laughs> it's sort of like the, the new, are you an anime, like, can you do anime? Well, here's one, and you, yeah. if you can cope with this, well, well sure, you could do anime, but if you yeah, can couldn't you cope with this, then... Can you get past Cowboy yeah. Bebop? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, right, so, okay, can you handle anime and you give him Kill a Kill? And they're like, this stuff is awesome. And then you're like, well, here's Lock a show a called Recently My Sister is Unusual. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, I can't handle it. <laughs> no, no, I'm out. You yeah. had me. Um, all right, we better get to these Twitter questions because we got a bunch of them. Um, all right. <clears throat> this is a good question. Uh, Ross Tuckerhoff asks, do you see potential for Trigger to make a thematic continuation to Kill a Kill, but not a direct sequel? I certainly don't want a sequel. Um, yeah. But, I mean, they're making an OVA, right? Yeah. So Something to close it out. I, well, they're, I, they're making theatrical films and then... Like, recap movies, and then they're going to do an OVA, I guess? Yeah, I mean... I the exact order. I kind of wanted it to... I wanted a little more oomph from the ending. I don't know exactly how. Uh, I really liked it, and you guys brought up that, that line of, like, this doesn't make any sense, and yeah, they're like, yeah, that's who we are. Uh, and that was good. But I kind of... I do kind of wish it was better, but I don't want them to fill that void... Yeah. by going after something better eternally. No, and, and I kind of I kind of would like them to just let it go. Yeah. I think it would be good for anime fans to let series go and not like continually try to re- grasp that that moment of of wow you had the first time every single time over and over with these you know new things. I don't know. I, I mean, yes, I think they could go ahead and do it, but I kind of hope they don't. Well, yeah, I mean, that's something that's really great about anime is that a lot of it ends quickly yeah. uh, whereas like scandal season four like this the, the standard movement of like american tv is the stakes get so progressively high that like you lost all suspension of disbelief and obviously a lot of anime doesn't have that problem but like there's something to be said for 26 <laughs> episodes and done and you're and done just right. have let somebody tell their story in a certain amount of time and then move on to the next thing yeah and I'm, I'm sort of hoping that Trigger is the kind of studio where they're like, no, we're finished with that. Yeah. We're done with it. So Yeah, and it seems be- like they've got a lot of stuff in the pipe already. Uh, I mean, they're, yeah. already, they're doing like the Little Witch Academia thing. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're busy folks. Uh, but they are enjoying their, uh, their fame in the U.S. for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm always selfishly 
really happy when something I really like actually catches on because it almost never does. Uh, so Agreed. it was thrilling for me that I, well, I came to Kill a Kill really late to the party. I started watching it like episode 17 for no, real. Not as late uh, as I did. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just, I mean, I almost, I wish like I had a fairy godmother or something that, like landed on my shoulder and was like, you got to watch this. It's pretty much just everything you want. Uh, because I had, I really had no idea. Like people were talking about it. I was like, "That sounds kind of dumb," uh, <laughs> and how wrong I was. And well, and you know, also, you know, you sometimes you get you get the Twitter, you know, hysteria, and you go, "Oh, everybody else in the world likes it. I don't know if I want to go there." Sure, yeah, totally. You that know. sort of adverse reaction to yeah. people's yeah. excitement. It, it's happening yeah. right now with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You know, no one shuts the fuck up about JoJo's. <laughs> I'm so lucky I've been on the train for all three of these. Attack on yeah. Titan, every week simulcast, I'm there on the nose, kill a kill, I'm yeah, see, there uh-huh. on the nose. Kill a kill was the yeah, only one I did that for. The only one I could, would, like, stay up for and watch. With Attack on Titan, I would just roll the dice about getting spoiled and watch five, yeah. wait for, like, five episodes to come out. Because I felt like you watch one episode of that show and just come away completely unfulfilled. Like they're like they spend the whole episode talking about how they're going to move a rock, and then they're like, "Okay, guys, we're ready to move the rock." And credits. <laughs> yep, Tag on Titan, biggest hit of the last like five years. Uh, I, mean, I liked it well enough, and I, yeah, I liked I it enough joking. to keep watching it. I like but... the show too. Um, okay, Kit Flowerstorm asks: So Satsuki and the Sun motifs. Any thoughts? I know this is uh, Char- Charles Dunbar. I like to call him Chucky D. Uh, it's, it's, it's his big thing is uh he, he likes he, he's he's got a whole narrative about kill a kill being mostly thematic uh thematic takes on shinto um and uh you know having watched the show the themes of it are just sort of haphazardly laid on top of it you, you don't have to do a lot of digging to find out what the show's about I didn't notice any particular, like, really strong, like, yes, there's imagery that associates Satsuki with the sun. That happens a few times. But it doesn't say anything about her character, at least not that I saw. I'm very interested in hearing Charles's whole take on it. Uh, yeah, I, but I just, I don't, I didn't see anything in it other than just, uh, like you guys were talking about, leitmotifs. Um, there's a little bit of that in there, but I didn't see it as meaning any being particularly meaningful uh, towards the story or anything. Yeah, no, archetypes are archetypical, so you can easily layer them on just about anything you want. <laughs> so, I mean, I was reading some of his stuff about it, and I'm, I'm also I'm not not totally moved by that. I, you could, sure, you can make a case for it, but you can make a case for the whole thing being, uh, uh, you know, obsessive worship of Seifuku, too. So, I mean, it's it's really... I think if you're talking about an archetypal concept, it's it's easy enough to find something. But I wasn't saying anything specific. Mm-hmm. They invoke a lot of, I think I think it's it's surface it's surface symbolism. I mean, so Kill Kill doesn't actually have a lot in common with Utena. People compare them a lot, but one thing it does have in common with Utena is a lot of times in Utena, a cigar was just a cigar. And it was actually, just- all the time I was interviewing the director. And when it when it came out here in America, and his response to my question about the meaning of a lot of the symbols was, "It looked cool." Yeah. Well, so in okay, fact, a cigar I, always meant a cigar. I just want well, okay, but I just want to point this out. I have been interviewing anime directors and screenwriters 
for the better part of 15 years. <laughs> Even the guys that made something that is so chock-a-block with symbolism mm-hmm. that you can't ignore it will tell you, oh, I just thought it looked cool because their handlers mm-hmm. tell them to say that. Yeah. Oh, Mamoru okay. Oshii doesn't talk directly about symbolism. He has, sometimes does if you can get an interview past his handlers mm-hmm. where he doesn't do that. But everybody does that. I've had a few interviews where they were like, off the record, here, it meant this, this, and this. Yeah. I was really going for this. And that's happened to me at least half a dozen times at this point. And all of that stuff gets uh, doesn't get past approvals. Okay. It, is a, it is a culture thing about entertainment journalism in Japan. They do not talk directly about symbolism or thematic meaning in their work. Um, Geno Rabuchi is actually one of the only guys that talks about it directly, who can somehow get away with it, and I don't know how he's doing it. Everybody's but, kissing his feet right now. So maybe but, yeah, but well, he's a golden boy right now, so he gets to talk. But, I mean, I wouldn't trust that, is what I'm okay. saying. I wouldn't trust it. Yeah, I, when I said a cigar is just a cigar, I also, Ikuhara is, has a, is notorious for changing his answers on things, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's a character. Anyway, but, like... I didn't mean a cigar is just a cigar, meaning it means nothing. I meant that sometimes in Utina there are things that are obviously meant to be a pat metaphor for a th- yep. the thing. The banana is a pat metaphor for you know this or that or the other, and and it's and it's for laughs, and it's and that's it. And Utina is chock a block with complex symbolism, but there's a lot of the surface symbolism there too. Kill a kill has that in common that there's a ton of surface symbolism. Is there anything particularly more profound about connecting the uh, the um, evil high school with the Nazis? Because they do that. It's very obvious that that's some, you know, that there's some uh, direct correlations to Nazi imagery there. Is there anything deeper to it? No. It's there because it evokes a very obvious mental image for you and you're supposed to go, oh, Nazis, right, they, they're bad. And the same thing is true with the, the generals. It's like, uh, the, they're the four generals of something that were represented, I forgot, it's some sort of yeah, historical the, uh, thing. The, the four divas. Right. Yeah. And it's like the toad, the monkey, the uh, snake, and the dog. And they have traits of their actual animals as well as the generals based on some of the, the stories. And it's like, okay, well... Uh, does that mean anything deeper? No. It's just, they just wanted to do it for fun. So, d- is there a connection between Satsuki and Amaterasu? Oh, of course there is, but it it doesn't mean anything <laughs> more profound. Is it's there, just... Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything more to say about it other than... It exists. Uh, yeah, there's a that, correlation. Yep. That's what yeah. they did. <laughs> it, it's, that's what they did, you know? So, like, that's that's kind of, I mean, that that's my take on it. Uh, I, I'm sure that there are, other, there are other takes on it, but it's like, there's a lot of, like... Obvious surface symbol. It's not really deeper. Kill a Kill doesn't really get into deeper symbolism that I've seen. It's just like, hey, this is what this means. We're going to be real obvious about it. Well, actually, so Zach's comment threw me uh, because I was all prepped to say, I feel like anime goes after the, I saw this thing and it looked cool, so I'm going to put it in my thing more than most. Uh, But yeah, I mean, there's obviously like a lot of Buddhist imagery. In it, so Hope mentioned the four divas, and then like there's the 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 thing in the bottom of uh, the lab is like the Buddhist wheel. But um, yeah, I mean, if anything, it's like it's way more about just referencing anime. I feel like that's where its deepest cuts come from. A lot of that other, a lot of the cultural stuff feels really surface level to me, and and I've received some of 
uh, Chuck D. Notorious Public Enemies, uh, uh, his thesis from friend of the website, Aaron Finnegan. Uh, so I, I don't want to speak. I don't want to say what he's saying, put words in his mouth without knowing. But if you're going to make claims about, I mean, Aaron came away from it thinking that there was like this uh, direct connection between Kill a Kill and the Abe government in Japan. And I don't know if that's uh, her interpretation of his talk or or Charles Dunbar's speech itself. Uh, but if you're going to go with that like straight up allegory, you need to present your sources. And I don't know if those sources exist. And maybe he did present them. Well, I, I mean, we're you know, the odds are we're, we're likely going to have him uh, potentially at this point. Like this is just sort of an idea, but maybe we'll have him do some writing about the show. Uh, for mm-hmm. the site, so you know, I'm very curious to see his conclusions. And uh, in no, I just want to make sure everybody is clear. In no way is anyone dismissing his conclusions or his uh, his theories about the show. It's just to us that stuff seems fairly surface, and I'm curious to see where he's drawing the other material from. So that's really all there is to it. Um, <clears throat> Charles is a friend of the show, and I, I think he's an incredibly intelligent person, and I look forward to, to, to seeing his stuff. Um, but moving on, uh, Emma Bowers asks, uh, Hope you made a top anime villains list ages ago that only had one lady villain on it. Would you add the villain from this show to that list now? Yeah, because uh, she fits the criteria back then. Uh, it was 2009. And there were there was not as much anime. <laughs> And specifically, the kind of villain that was that I was looking for, which is irredeemably, hopelessly evil and yet still likable. Um, as I mentioned when I made that video, was and I apologized at the beginning. I was like, "There's one female character on this list, and she's just on here, just kind of for inclusion's sake, because I didn't want it to be all dudes." But it, it was a, it's a type of, fe- of of villain that is not represented well with women in general, and also especially in anime, and that is. Like, irredeemably evil, but not loathable. Like, you like them. And it's, it's done much more with dudes. And with, with ladies, they're either, unfortunately, like, likable and redeemed, like Lust from Fullmetal Alchemist, or absolutely loathable and not likable, like Dante from Fullmetal Alchemist. And it's like... so uh, And then it seems like after I did that, more and more anime was lo- has loosened up on like on that. So you have like Medusa from Soul Eater, and you have Ragio from uh, uh, Kill a Kill, and several others. And I was like, man, that's a bummer. Like, because this has come up several times when people have mentioned, hey, there's like all these other female characters in anime who are like just completely uh, termites in their smile, evil but also likable. And I'm like, yeah, well, it wasn't in 2009, so you know, <laughs> it's been. I think I'm I'm glad that there's been more of an expansion on that. I think. All right, Keikaku Cat asks, even with the lack of actual visible private parts, do you think the nudity in Kill a Kill will prevent it from airing on Toonami? Um, I don't know. I hope not. They are just dull bodies. Um, it's not... I mean, there's barely pronounced nudity in it at all. Like, everything's just sort of an outline. Um, that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it, it would make it past... Uh, their their internal sensors, yeah. but I, I hope the show winds up on Toonami. I think it would be a great fit. I think that that's the kind of crazy ass shit that will bring in another little generation of fans, and 
introduce people to the the wacky variety that you get with anime. They have big naked titans, so <laughs> that's a little different. <laughs> I know, right? But like they they have titans with boobs and titans with like butts. There's lots of butts, so you know maybe. Either way, there's no like there's no there's no nitty bitties on any of them, so. Sure. Um, okay. Sorry, we're just kind of blowing through these here. Uh, Zero Action asks, after Kill a Kill, what do you expect and or hope to see from Trigger in the future? Uh, more wacky stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Something else original want, and interesting. Whatever they want to do. There we go. Crazy risk-taking. Yes. That's what I want to see. Um, Dave, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, they could just do whatever they want. I don't have much in the way of expectations, but uh, if they do something fun and fresh, I'll be there. Well, let me put it this way. Like, right now they're just making really interesting stuff. I want them to keep making really interesting stuff. I don't want them to make Monsters University. <laughs> so, uh, I guess let me put it that way. <laughs> well... I mean, isn't the reality that sometimes these studios have to job it? Like, didn't the Flowers of Evil people pick up something well, as sort of, like, interstitial one. work? Yeah, of course they did. Uh, I mean, Trigger, sure, they, they, and I'm pretty sure they already do that. Um, <clears throat> in terms of original projects where it's not based on a manga or a light, God forbid, a light novel, uh, <laughs> you know, I, if they keep making TV original stuff and it's this good... Please just keep making that stuff. Yes. Please keep doing it. Um, all right. Silver Husky asks, uh, what were your favorite shout-outs to other anime series in Kill the Kill? So my favorite, this is going to sound a little weird, but the Sukeban Deka stuff. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> well, took that, the words right out of my mouth. Oh, really? That's so funny. Oh, absolutely. I, I I'm a I huge fan that. of the Boncho and Skeban look. And the storylines, and I write about the girl gang stuff of the 1980s and 90s all the time. So, absolutely, Skeb on Deck was 100% oh, awesome. what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I really loved uh, that. Was just, I've only seen like the one OVA or whatever. It's great. But, uh, yeah, it's just something I watched randomly for the podcast like yeah. five, six years ago, probably. And it was such a weird show, and it was something I could actually remember. Uh, the manga was <laughs> way, way awesome. Um, so yeah, that was just really fun for me. And I really liked, uh, I mean, I'm, everybody likes, um, the Boncho Mako, but mm-hmm. the, like her hat being straight out of JoJo's was like a neat touch with JoJo's airing, like immediately after Kill a Kill. I was like, Hey, I recognize that hat. Cause I watched that OVA like a really long time ago. Yeah. Uh, mostly I was incredibly tickled by the fact that. The flashbacks looked like oh. a show from the 70s. Yeah, yeah the 4-3 yeah. re- ratio. I, and-, and I realized, wait a minute, is this the first time I've seen anyone do that? Because it's really clever, but also seems really obvious. Yeah. Where if you'd have, yep. you'd have flashbacks in an animated show, and they're flashing back 20 years, and then it looks like a show from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, yeah. yep. Like, has any... I can't think of another example of that. Where within the show's timeline, it looks like a an anime from 20 years ago. That's really clever, but also seems like, oh, someone else surely has done that. Yeah. And it, no, I can't think yeah. of a single example. It's like, just super fucking clever. Like, that was, I, I was 
very pleased. Yeah. For, for me, I uh, like just the very basis of the show being to uh, to go Nagai stuff. What uh, Gurren Lagann was to like, get a Robo and all and all its influences. Uh, just the fact that their basis was, and, it, and it's throughout their basis is go Nagai, cutie honey, Keiko common kind of stuff. And it's so much better than that. And it's like I I appreciate that that their starting base is we're gonna we're gonna make a, a modern wacky take on on whatever the name of the genre is that that Gonagai's stuff is whatever that name of that genre is and make because people have people have mentioned like oh is Kill a Kill supposed to be magical girl and it's like no it's this really obscure weird gross thing from the seventies <laughs> and then you like show them like Gonagai stuff it's like oh right. So I appreciate that that was the, I mean, just the basis for it being that reference was was great, and also all the Evangelion stuff at the end where Nui—that's her name, Nui Harime's. I finally figured out her name. Nui Harime's head is like giant ray head and shit. That was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 uh, still shots of uh, of the lead character that are just straight Gonagai panels. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Anytime they go to that sort of freeze frame, it's the freeze frame painterly thing. I mean, yeah, I love that that Gonagai and and Gogo thirteen kind of painting freeze frame. So and it's all also all the old shoujo stuff used to do mm-hmm. that too. You know, yeah, the yeah. shot eyes and the you know the painting background. Love that stuff. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's such a like. <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to be into the to the symbolism of it, but. It's such a great way to convey passion, like instantaneously, if you've watched like 30 anime shows <laughs> and know that that's what it means. <laughs> All right, Scotty415 asks Would you guys consider the female characters in Kill a Kill good examples of strong female characters in anime? Okay, so yep. I feel like this is a loaded question because the they've managed to turn strong female character into a loaded thing, hmm. which is super depressing. I think they're just good characters who are women. Yep. And are interesting. I don't. Yeah, I feel like the the strong female character descriptor is sort of by default loaded. Yeah, somehow they managed to, to take it. it from us. I don't. But like, they're super great. I mean, they're all. I mean, I'm totally in love with almost almost every character in the show, male and female. I, I even like Nui, who I know gets a lot of pushback. I just thought she was like just like the perfect amount of annoying. That made it funny for me. <laughs> I've written a lot about the concept of the strong female characters. You see it in modern media, and we t- usually when they talk about it, what you've got is, a, as I said, a woman who's had everything taken from her, and you know now she's out for revenge, right? And to do it, she has to put on a single-piece bodysuit for some reason. And I defined in my writing how I interpret strong female character, and it's a woman who is in control of her, her circumstances. And by that definition... Satsuki is absolutely a strong female character and Ragio is a strong female character but as the story goes on so is Ruko and you can add Nui into that and Mako you know despite, despite the fact that she is never in control of her circumstances never seems to be troubled by this and so in that sense I would totally say yeah you've got a, a pile of strong female characters Okay, um, here's a fake Brazilian asks, is Kill a Kill manly? Manly like Gurren, Ipo, and Jojo, but has mostly women. Maybe is it, it's just badass. I hate that, I hate that descriptor, because it's just, it's just a meme for 
It's just a meme. Like, anybody says, this is the manliest anime. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it does feel yeah. kind of like a smoke screen, yeah. right? Uh, you know, yeah. Like, here's how I can couch this so it's okay for me to like it. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. I also feel like I'm okay with just taking those gender lines wherever you want uh, and sort of just blurring them all over the place. Uh, so if you're willing to do the reverse, I guess, uh, I guess if you're like willing to consider super like almost homoerotic, but uh, homo uh, social, whatever you would call it, like male sort of stuff as quote unquote girly. Like if you're just willing to completely demolish it across the board, I can get behind kill, calling kill a kill manly, but like you can, you're also just allowed to say things are cool. Yeah, and like, like it's not weird if you think something with girls in it is cool. You'll like it because I the, the the thing that you heard that that I heard that most about was Gurren Lagann was always 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 referred to as like this is the manliest anime and it's great because it's manly and manly man 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 manly and it's like <laughs> shut up just tell me why this is good like on a level where it doesn't feel like I'm being talked to as though I'm a twelve year old boy who just hit puberty and has to prove why he likes. <laughs> No, that's I mean, that's funny. Maybe I'm giving people too much credit when I when I see that stuff. I always feel like people are really taking it to this like extremely hyperbolic level. Yeah, well, right. just well, to like sort of make funny, fun of the cops. It's not like funny. It's like it's not a funny joke. It's like you trying to be funny and failing when you say that. So it's like it's meme. Yeah. It's just meme, and I'm sick of meme. So it's like yeah, yeah. I my my favorite uh, line about that is. I, I don't watch sports, but this must be what it's like to watch football. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, nerds. Uh, okay. Um, Rosebrook18 asks, A lot of people tend to like either Mako or Mikitsugi as comic relief and can't stand the other. Takes? Uh, they're all great. Yeah, I like them both. They're all funny. I mean, everybody's funny. That's the point. Not only are they funny, but everybody's funny. Even the really not funny ones are funny. Everybody's got a good line somewhere yeah. along the line. I mean, my reaction to Mikitsugi, I said this earlier, is he's... He, I, what's kind of funny about him is that he's a troll about, like, the whole nudity stuff. Like, in the internet sense of, like, I am trolling you with my nudity and, like, doesn't it feel weird to be abound ra- around my naked body? Well, actually, he, uh, he doesn't even act like that because he acts like he doesn't even... He's not aware of it or something. Yeah. He's just deadpan. He acts like he's not aware of the fact that his nipples are glowing for some reason. Like... He, like he, he's like activated them at a rave or something, and then also his dick is always out. He doesn't he doesn't seem to be aware of it. I mean, he is. He's very proud of it, but yeah. he's not, like he's, he's also got that of hair. You know, I I uh, I have to admit that the that was probably the thing that made me laugh the hardest. There was a scene where he was delivering some exposition, and he was wearing a lab coat, and the lab coat was. Very slowly Sliding. starting yeah, to yeah, fall very off of him, and you're like sliding right. off his shoulder. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and it takes and he's got like that, a like, couple great... of minutes. <laughs> he's got that great set. straight man bit with like the DTR thing, which I never really yes. quite got, but was still funny. Like even with a bunch of googling after the fact, I was like, I don't think I really get this joke, but I'm just gonna go with it because. It, it seems pretty funny, and just by repetition, it's working for me. Yeah, whereas Mako but you know, I think just... I think fans really like to, if they like one character, they really feel almost obliged to start hating a lot of the others. I'm not really sure why that is. I don't know why we can't just like them all. Yeah, it's tribalism, but yeah. Yeah. Well, they have opposite senses of humor, 
so I, I can understand, like, genuinely, genuinely, like, not getting one or the other. Like, one's completely dry and one's completely loony, so it's like... Eh. True. You mean the the two characters in the show are opposite in terms of... Their form of humor. Their senses of humor, yes. not... not Fans have opposite senses of humor. No, stuff meant, that isn't funny. Is, I thought no, you were no, talking about meant, you and Zach. Okay, were like <laughs> Mako, Mako's ex- way of express like she, the reason Mako is funny is the complete opposite of why Mikisugu is funny. Yeah, so. and, and Mako is really the the slapstick physical humor, and and Mikisugi is much more you know sort of a a sort of faux intellectual humor. It's really not, but it sort of is. Yeah, it's, he's 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 a completely straight man who just happens to be, okay, not straight. You know what I mean? He's he's the straight man <laughs> in a comedy sort of group, except he happens to be naked all the time, and that's the joke, and that's the joke every single time. But for some reason, it's still funny. I'm actually surprised like Nui isn't singled out as the character you just hate, or the sure sorry this too. this Twitter person just hates. Like of, of the per, of the people that would be most divisive, I feel like it's her. She's adorable. Yeah, I think she's great. I mean, yeah. but as somebody who is annoying, yeah. I yeah. think people who are annoying are funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, but my wife, like, couldn't stand her. <laughs> like, was willing to, like, a borderline walk out of the room sometimes, I feel, mm-hmm. when she was on screen. I she's, thought she was great. She reminds me of Delando and why I thought Delando was really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not yeah. serious. It's Delando in a comedy. All right, Jeff Tebbets asks, when was the last time a studio series debut made this much of a splash? I'm not including Inferno Cop here. Uh, Inferno Cop was really popular with, like, ten dudes on Twitter. Yeah. And that's (laughs) it. Uh, (laughs) I I, I don't know. Uh, I I think it's a a nice debut um, for... uh, Not really... I guess it's not really a debut for anybody, but in terms of being Trigger's first full-length TV series. Certainly the strongest I've seen, but then again, the creative team they had for it almost ensured that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like, hey, Imaishi, go crazy, uh, you're probably going to get something that a lot of people are going to respond to. Hmm. It, it, they they stack the deck in their favor, for sure. GBOFO asks, does the lack of body shaming in a show about clothing and perfect bodies spring up any thoughts? Uh, I guess there wasn't like a lot of jokes about fat people or something. The only <laughs> no, I mean, jokes like, I get are what she's going things. for. I feel. I think that's about. But I feel like we talked about that a lot with the sex positivity. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like this isn't a show that's cruel to its characters, and that's pretty important. Because when I see shows do that, I just wonder, like, why? What the people who make it are thinking. Like yeah, why what the people are watching punish it. these? Well, I, I know what the people who are watching it are thinking. I, you I know, and I and, I, and I, I can't. Like I can't do that. Um, I want I want to at least like or care about at least one of the characters. And if yeah. all of it is is just torturing the characters, then I can't care about any of them, or I'll get hurt. So I don't really see the appeal. All right, uh, composer Rose asks. What do you think of the whole discussion about whether Ryuko Mako happened or not? Ryuko slash Mako. Um, <clears throat> all right, so... This is your uh, area, What do I Erica? think about it? Um, <laughs> I think that 
it's as likely as anything else. You can pair anybody with anybody, but I'll be really, really honest, where if I'm going to pair anybody at the end of it, I'm going to say Mako and Gamagori. Well, that's a bold choice. <laughs> I know, right? It's not to, but, but you know what? They, I know, right? In Yuri fandom, they want there to be a pairing, and I just, I'm not seeing it. I think that... Uh, Ruko and Mako have love each other like sisters and, and you can you can say the same for, for Ruko and, and Satsuki. I'm not really seeing the need to to pair the two of them as romantic partners. Right. Well, I, well I think I, she's at the end of the date. show I was really curious and Googling this didn't provide me any information, but I was just curious if there is like a non romantic use of date in that way in Japanese. I don't. I don't really know. I couldn't answer culturally, but I mean, I think it's not unknown for people to say, "Okay, we're we're let's go let's go to friends to say let's go out on a date today." Yeah, it's actually not entirely unknown for young women. You know, say we're going to go out and go shopping together and go get ice cream. It's it's you could call it a date. I I don't. I don't think it's. Ness. I mean, I know. I know what my fandom wants to hear is yes, they're totally a couple, (laughs) but I don't. I don't. I just don't say it. I mean, there's a vibe there. It's like a super romantic be. friendship. Uh, and I feel Platonic like... Platonic romance, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and I feel like when people get that... There are really romantic friendships in real life and in all media sure. yep. that aren't don't cross into a relationship. So Yeah, so I was just curious. Because obviously, yeah, in English, people will say, like, or even jokingly say, date. Uh, I was just curious if there was that, that sort of cultural equivalent in Japanese. I. To me, like that scene once once again, tying into the nonconformity thing because it's a big uh, go get them speech about let's go after this let's go get some ice cream and go on throw rides and buy whatever fucking clothes we want like yeah. that was the point of that it I didn't see any like like once again the show is has like. It's it's just not interested in like yeah. romance like yeah, it's, yeah. It's just not interested in it. So the last we see of poor Gamagori, he's in a really nice suit holding what would be an enormous bouquet of flowers, but fits between his thumb and <laughs> pinky, and just like looking yeah, at Mako that, from the shadows. And I was like, okay, well that's what they're, where they're going with that. Like yeah, it was cute, you know, and that's, that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they probably just thought it was really funny to put the really huge guy with the really little girl on. I mean, there's that great scene of her, like, holding the scissor and facing off against him while she's standing on his knee. Right? <laughs> uh, and he's staring her down. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, nope, she's nope. a little queer. And there's a lot of queerness in this show, like, overall. Uh, I, I think there are pe- people make worse stretches than this about media every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It, it's absolutely. not that it can't exist. It's just that, it's not likely, it, it, yeah, it's certainly not yeah. important. And <laughs> no, it, they, <laughs> They insert it in the last ten minutes, like yeah. almost as if to give you permission to yeah, let your that's imagination exa- that's run exactly wild. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. And then they yeah. added, and then Sasuke joins them. So, woo, you know, somebody can just have a little. And well, she's got a haircut too. Yes. Yes. It's like she's changed. I mean, that's a super cute ending. Yes, that, it is. Like, whole it's adorable. It's adorable. Okay. Uh, getting close to the end here. Um. Sweet Deer asks, uh, do you have a favorite character or a favorite costume design? The show okay. is not so short on costume I, design. 
when I when I did my blog post on it, I actually had a contest. And normally when I do contests, I say, you know, write in your favorite character and I'll pick one of you at random. And this time I said there's only one answer. Right. <laughs> there's only one answer. Now, the thing is, everybody who knows me immediately went for Ragyo because they knew that Ragyo is the kind of person that I aspire to be. But no, that wasn't it. And then, then they went, okay, well, Satsuki, because she's really, you know, also really strong and everything. And the answer is Mako. She is the best character because she is the expository and she's the comedy and she's the inspiration. And in a lot of ways, she's the most human of all the humans. Well, it's funny that you say Ragio is who you aspire to be. Absolutely. I feel like aspirationally, I'm Ryuko and in reality, <laughs> I'm just Mako. So, like, yeah, I definitely felt like a sense of kismet with her. And the question was also favorite costume design. Yeah. Uh, I thought when Ryuko shows up with like the jacket and the high tops, yeah, it's just super cool. It's a really good look, and I just I love that the transformation sequence at the very end of it. They just sort of like resound with this power. They both of them do this sort of like neck stretching out move at the end that ends in this super intent pose. I feel like it adds to a lot of the. The transformation sequences, it isn't like, a, you know, like a coquettish look or anything like it's a really active, powerful sort of stance they take at the end of that. And for me, costume design has to be non on as an old um, marching band nerd. I felt <laughs> like we really ought to just, we should represent. So. <laughs> but that, her last transformation was the one one of the few points in the show where it's like mm, i don't know about this yeah i know well even, <laughs> even her second singer. transformation when she when she did her second transformation i was like i think we're a bit much but i still like anyway so yeah the uh, favorite character is really hard because i like i pretty much like all of them but i mm-hmm. i ultimately have to say it's gamagori because he's the funniest and like i don't know like i just the fact that his scale is is intentionally never determined is perfect. Like <laughs> it's, yeah. it's perfect that he's he's like the size of a building and then like just a little taller than Ryuko and then you know Gamagori's only like how tall is Gamagori? Taller than you is the answer. There's not an actual scale. But yeah, I mean like he's my favorite just because his his whole thing is like he is the the spirit of conformity that's healthy in the uh in the show, and at first it's not. At first, it's a it's a perversion of that. Uh, his whole thing is he just wants people to be protected. He believes that conformity exists, that this this structure exists, so that the weak can be protected from the strong, and that's really valuable. And I like that they they add that to the whole like anarchy, like naked anarchy, which is ultimately where it's all going is naked anarchy. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, the Gamagori is the voice of no. There needs to be some structure so we can protect. The weak from the strong. He just takes it a little too far, and ultimately becomes, uh, well, briefly becomes uh, masochistic with it. Like they they do it and the bondage thing with him, where it's like I'm so I'm so turned on by the prospect of being of having my place in the world, and he's and he constricts himself, and the way that he constricts himself is literally bondage, and you know. But I mean, like, yeah, his character was just so interesting to me. Like, I liked him. And then the costumes, my favorite costumes were the ones near the end where, um, well, as the, as the, uh, the Goku uniforms get more and more impressive, they would pile on more stuff. 
so that they became like bulkier and bulkier. Like Sanagiyama's basically looks like a robot by the third or fourth. I mean, it did to begin with, but then it really looks like just like a, a mech that he happens to be in. But by the end, the the final uniforms for the entire student council are stripped down so that they're like one thing on a shoulder and then some pants and then like a cape but it's it's really stripped down and it looks powerful it looks like the strongest one yet but it's kind it's a little revealing and it you know it's it's less bulky so those are my favorites where it's combining the goku uniforms with the nudist beach thing so they're both like exposed and also have super suits so that was my favorite yeah in terms of like favorite character uh the show like this is one of those shows where the, the, the characters are all written strongly enough to where I was happy no matter who was on screen, which, that never happens. Like, yeah. it never happens. It's like, well, I'm really happy when these two characters are on screen or when that guy's with this other person, but, oh, man, not, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. Like, oh, God, Bran. Uh, you know, like... Uh, but with this one, it was more like I was pretty much happy whenever anyone was on screen. But Mako, like totally, I found her extremely funny and charming. Um, but in terms of character design, they had gone through so many permutations of costume design by the end of the show. Like, I they would they would do the big on screen text with name of costume anytime there was a new costume, <laughs> and there was the Senkatsu had like five or six different versions and i was like how many how many figmas are you gonna try to sell oh yeah based on this and i was like but i would totally buy like one giant figma that had every costume permutation in it um Hmm. but yeah like yeah i was i was pretty taken with the design of of the costumes overall and i I thought it, it it became comical that they were just kept introducing, just piling them on by the end. Like, here's my final version. Here's my ultimate version. Here's my, yeah, like... God they, version. They couldn't, yeah, here's my God version. Like, they would introduce what you thought was the last one, and then they'll give you another one. And it's like, okay, well... You I, I think there like also ought to be a shout-out here for Ragio's hair. Yeah, mm. that was great. You know? I mean, that was just one of the most sublime things I've ever seen in anime. Yeah. I, I like when they, uh, you think, at first you just think, okay, she's wacky, it's a cartoon, her hair is, like, crazy. And then you find out, like, you slowly realize, oh, it's made of, she's made of thread. Like, oh, that's why her hair is that. Weird, gross, creepy. Yeah. Um, okay, well, actually, I think that wraps it up, guys. Um, nice. I, I can't. I think this was a great panel, and I can't thank you guys enough Fantastic. for uh, for stopping by and uh, chatting up the show. Um, uh, thank you so much. Thank you fun. very much. It was a real pleasure. Okay, that's our show. Big thanks to Hope, Dave, and Erica for stopping by. The theme song is Bucharest. It's by the band The New Division. You can check them out at newdivisionmusic.com. Don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a little rating or review. We'd really appreciate it, and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.